starting this month, again, our theme being, Lord, what am I to do? I've taken that from Acts chapter 9, and so I want to preach a message this morning from Acts 9, and I've entitled it, Lord, what am I to do? Now, that's not the exact wording. Paul actually asked, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And yes, so I'm guilty of changing the words just a little bit in the question. Now remember, Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, or I'm sorry, to Damascus from Jerusalem, and his goal was to persecute yet more Christians. But when Paul was saved, his life changed immediately. Now, when you and I are saved, there ought to be a change, right? And some of those changes happen immediately. Some we take a little longer. We grow in Christ as we go through our Christian life. But the truth is, there ought to be change in our lives. Now, there was a drastic change in Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, when he was saved. He's now serving the very Jesus whom he was trying to destroy. Think of that. But he asked this very important question, what will thou have me to do? And I want us to consider this question in light of missions this morning. So we're going to read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20, a little bit, excuse me, a little bit lengthy passage. And again, if you're physically able, if you please stand with me as we read this passage this morning. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarshish, for behold, he prayeth. And I seen a vision, uh, in a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, uh, Lord, I've heard by many of, of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints of Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all them that call on thy name. And the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bring my name to before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, and I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And then Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hand on, on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in the way that thou camest, thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. 
Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So as we look and examine, Lord, what am I to do? Three things I want us to notice about the testimony of the Apostle Paul, who's called Saul here. First of all, he had a change in master. A change in his master, verses 4 and 5. Then we observe Paul had a change in mission in verse 6. And then we'll end with Paul had a change of a message. Change of message in verse 20. Christian, you and I need to ask, Lord, what will you have me to do? Thank you. You may be seated. Paul's change of master. You see, as Paul is heading to Damascus, he believes he's doing God's work. He believes that this sect of Christians is so against God, so against God's word, that he's trying to destroy them. Paul was a very zealous man, but zeal didn't make him right. Just because one has great zeal does not make the cause that they're zealous over right. Sometimes we see those that have great zeal, but is their cause correct? Paul, Saul at this time, had a great zeal for God. But he was not doing God's service, thinking he's doing God's service. Is that yet not another example how deceptive and how wicked our hearts can be? He had himself believing he was doing God's work when he was doing the opposite of God's work. Paul had an excellent resume, but that resume could not save him, could it? Philippians chapter 3, and you can turn there if you'd like, but Philippians 3 verses 4 through 11 Paul gives us his resume here. He says, though I, might have, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man think that he hath whereof he can trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law, blameless, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Yet how often do we try to serve God, and we act like we're somebody, because maybe of our education, maybe of our knowledge in a certain field, maybe because of some status we have, people act like they're somebody because of it. But Paul says, you want to talk resumes, here's my resume. And he gives his whole list of his resume, but he says, you know what? It's all lost. It's all worthless compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And Paul no longer trusted in his big resume, which before he was saved, by the way, was his trust. But he says, that's all in the past now. That's all worthless. I count it refuse compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Christian, you and I have a new master, and you and I need to learn how to serve our new master. 
Amen? And Paul says that I may know him. Paul's desire was to know Jesus Christ. That ought to be the heartbeat of our lives, that I may know Christ. I want to know him. And Paul had an immediate change because, remember, he's heading to Damascus to destroy Christians. He's going to prison them. He had been doing this, by the way, for quite some time. And we're going to look at see the reputation he had among others. We've already read that by Ananias, who's, you know, when, when God came to Ananias and says, go see Saul, he's like, uh, Lord, let's talk. <laughs> Saul understood all that he had in the flesh is worthless. And so you and I must be. But I love when he, Jesus comes to him, he says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Look at the very next words. And he said, who art thou, Lord? He calls him Lord. The, Jesus, the same Jesus that he was persecuting, he's now calling Lord. Boy, that's an instantaneous change of master, is it not? Because he realizes who this Jesus Christ is. You see, Paul had seen the testimony of Christians being martyred for Christ. You say, how do you know that? Well, go back two chapters with me to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And we'll pick up at verse 54. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. This is uh, Stephen speaking. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, crying upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Saul was standing there and heard the message of Stephen. He saw the stoning of Stephen. He saw the reaction of Stephen as he is dying for this one, Jesus Christ. And I am sure this is probably not the only time he had seen one of the Christians being martyred. And, and the testimony of these Christians was eating at the conscience of this young Saul. You say, how do you know that? Look at the question Jesus asked him. Or in verse 4, he says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then in verse 5, Jesus says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That phrase has the idea of the apparatus that they would put on a on oxen when they're plowing from my understanding sometimes would have these goads built into it that if they tried kicking too hard they'd end up kicking it and it would hurt them in other words the conviction that paul is feeling well where's this conviction coming from i believe from the testimonies of the christians that he has been martyring and their stand for jesus christ is eating at the conscience of paul and jesus says paul it's hard for you to kick against the pricks it's hard for you to deal with this, uh, this conviction in your life. And folks, let me tell you something. There are many people out there today whose conscience is being convicted by the sin in their lives, and they need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ can save them. But Paul, dealing with this conviction, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. I can imagine Saul sitting there, 
Yep. I've been fighting this. At least since chapter 7. Now understand, it wasn't written in chapters. And I don't know the time period, so I'll say at least since chapter 7, whatever that time period is between chapter 7 and chapter 9, probably longer, as he saw probably others martyred for the name of Christ. But even if he didn't see him martyred, you know, he's going to do what? He's going to arrest them and take them to Jerusalem. Well, what do you think many of these Christians are probably doing? Oh, woe is me! Oh, I got caught serving Christ! Oh, life is so terrible. If they were, there wouldn't be the conviction in, the, in Saul, would there? You know what I bet most of them were doing? Praying, singing praises. Where do you think Paul got all these ideas that we see him doing later in his life? Well, it's because of the change that happened, because of what Jesus Christ did. But I imagine he saw much of that as he's hauling these people off to be in prison, that they're praising God. They're thanking Christ. They are rejoicing. And he's probably looking at them like, what is wrong with these people? I don't get this. Here they are so anti-God, but they act like they love God. What is wrong with these people? Well, when he met Jesus in the road to Damascus, it all changed, did it not? He got a brand new master and a brand new outlook. You see, this is when Paul stopped trusting his heritage, his status, his education, etc., and placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is your Lord and Master, then you must submit to his will for your life. So he had a change in Master, which leads us to our next point. He had a change in mission. So when Jesus says, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks, he turns again to Jesus and says, Lord... What will thou have me to do? Now that's interesting. The first thing Paul asked after he's saved is, Lord, what am I supposed to do to serve you? You see, the zeal of the man didn't change, but the direction of that zeal certainly did, did it not? It went from, I'm heading to Damascus to persecute the Christians, to, okay, Christ, what do you have for me to do? That's a pretty amazing change, is it not? But then he does tell us in the book of Romans... That this is only our reasonable service, is it not? When we think of all Christ has done for us, how can we do any less than serve him? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is written by the same man. He says, look, I realized, and Christian, you need to realize, when you look at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that he paid for your salvation, that he gave his all for you, then your giving your all for him is only reasonable, so do it. But then Jesus tells him, arise and go into the city, and it should be told thee what thou must do. So what does Paul do? He gets up, he's blinded, but he has the men lead him into the city and says, I'll find out what my further instructions are. And as soon as he finds out, he just keeps right on obeying. Now, let's talk about this guy, Ananias. You see, the reputation of Saul preceded him. Everybody knew, watch out for Saul of Tarsus because 
He is anti-Christian. He's going to arrest you. He has authority to arrest you. And so if you claim the name of Christ, watch out for this guy. So could you imagine the Lord coming to Ananias and saying, Ananias, well, here, my Lord, I need you to go and I need you to find Saul of Tarsus. And I told him in a vision, you're going to be coming and he needs to receive his sight. Um, Lord, you do know who this guy is, right? I mean, this guy's been persecuting Christians and, and slaughtering Christians. And by the way, he has authority from the chief priest to be here to arrest guys like me. And the Lord's like, I know. So I need you to go and talk to Saul of Tarsus. And so now, look. Some would say, well, why is Ananias arguing with God? Well, let me ask you a question. If you were put in that predicament, would you ask the question? I promise you I would. Okay, I'm sorry. I, 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 I want to have greater faith, but there would be that time where I'd be like, Lord, are you sure? <laughs> okay, that would be one of those moments. But as soon as Ananias is sure, what's he do? He obeys. You see, the response of Christian ought to be obedience. Obedience is the very best way to show that we believe, right? Doing exactly what the Lord commands. Doing it happily. Now again, we can give our time, talents, and treasure. But I need to obey God in giving my time, talents, and treasure to his service. Whatever that may be. Now, Paul didn't know at this moment what is going to be happening to him. Now, Jesus did tell Ananias he's going to be reaching the Gentiles, kings, and all the children of Israel. Can you imagine... Paul thinking, yeah, that's, that's really not me. <laughs> what? Paul didn't think that highly of himself, by the way. Okay? Neither should you and I. You know what? I don't know what God's will is for your life. I know some here have said, I believe God may be leading me into some type of ministry. Well, praise God. Then let's get trained for it. Let's get there and do it in God's timing. But let's get out and serve him where it is. And as many of you, serving him is right here in Havelock, North Carolina. You know, there are souls here in Havelock, North Carolina that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and God has placed you here to be that witness to tell them of Him. That is your mission. But we have, again, our time, talents, and treasure. Time, church work days. Y'all going to sign up for next Saturday. Times of fellowship, times of serv our regular services. As I even mentioned last week about our services, you know, some we should be here for every service the church has. Sharing the gospel with the lost, comforting the weak, going on a missions trip. Because, listen, you will make time for what is important to you. Let me say that again. You will make time for what is important to you. You want to know what's important to you? Look at your time. Talent. Well, we have a hymnal here. Because some can sing, some can teach, we can all clean the church, some can help with maintenance of the church, again, doing missions trip, encouraging missionaries by writing to them, calling them, praying for, uh, praying for our missionaries, praying for laborers in the harvest, praying for those who are in ministry. Prayer works. But we need to give of our talent. Now, many have been gifted different ways. And some have talents that you'd be able to use their hands. Some are good with numbers. Some are good with writing. Some are good teaching. Some are good with whatever the case may be. But you know what your talents are. And let me say this now. You will 
use your talents on what is important to you. You make time for what's important to you. You will use your talents on what's important to you. And then we have our treasure. Now, as Paul is writing to Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8, matter of fact, let's just go ahead and turn there. Hold your place here in Acts 9. We'll be back. But let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 1, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Paul is telling the Corinthians, again, remember, the church at Corinth is a rich church. But he's saying about the churches at Macedonia, which were poor churches, had already taken an offering, and this offering was going to the saints at Jerusalem. And by the way, this is the, uh, one, of the way, one of the passages that show us the example of faith promise giving. But the, the churches in Macedonia had given out of their poverty. Paul had apparently not even told the churches of Macedonia he's taken this offering. But they, they had already taken, they'd heard about it, and they take up this offering. And Paul is telling Corinth, you promised to take an offering. And if I get there and you don't have an offering ready, you're going to be embarrassed because what the Macedonians have done. He's using them as an example of trying to encourage the Corinthians to give what they had promised to give to help the saints at Jerusalem. Now, but Paul says that they took the offering and they're... You can imagine this conversation between Paul and the church as they're trying to give him this offering. He's like, you guys don't have the money to do this. How can you do this? And they're like, don't rob us of a blessing, Paul. Take it. So verse 5, he says, this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. Look, if you're going to give your time, talent, and treasure to God, he needs to have your heart. You've got to give yourself to God and say, God, here am I, send me. You need to say as the apostle Paul, Lord, what will you have me to do? You need to just give yourself to God as an open contract and let him fill in the details of what he wants to do with your life. And I promise you he will. And I promise you, you'll have joy serving him, whatever that may be. So they gave of themselves and then they gave out of their poverty. Now, not all give out of their poverty because as Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians, he's reminding them who are very rich that they give too. But either way, the point being is give as God leads. Because just as you will make time for what is important to you, you will use your talents on what is important to you. You will give to what's important to you. Do you believe that? I do. Folks, you give to what's important to you. I've heard over the years people say, and I used to, challenge God with it. Well, I can't afford to give. You know what I learned? It's not about the money. It's about my hard attitude. And I learned very quickly, I can afford not to give. I'll give you a quick illustration. One time I remember, I think as while Susan and I were still dating, I made a bargain with God. Don't ever try doing that. God, I'm not going to tithe this week because 
whatever my dumb reason was. And that week, my truck broke down and the repairs of my truck was exactly what my tithe should have been. And that's when I learned it's not about the money, it's about the attitude. It's about the heart. And I said, okay, God, got it. And I've been faithfully tithing by his grace since. And then, you know, when I first heard of Faith Promise Missions giving, I'm going to be honest with you, my first thought was, wow, this sounds like a money scam. But then I started studying scriptures and I realized, you know, this is a very valid way in which we can support missionaries. And so when I started giving to missions, I gave very little. I think it was maybe $5 a month, maybe $2 a month back then. I mean, we're talking years ago. And I'm not going to tell you what it is now because that's between God and I. But I promise you this, didn't stop there, okay? Because it's by God's grace. So Paul had a change of master, which led to a change of mission, which led to a change of message. I love verse 20. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. Here this man is just saved, just receives his sight, and verse 20 And I love the word Luke uses here. And straightway. That's like right now. Not waiting, not delaying, but immediately. He preached preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Now, can you imagine everybody's surprise? Here Saul is. And Saul is on his way to Damascus to arrest the Christians. But instead, as soon as he gets his sight, he goes, come on, guys, we're going over to synagogue. I'm going to preach because they need to know about this Jesus Christ. And he stands up in the synagogue. And I can imagine those that are naming the name of Christ are like, Saul, what are we going to do? And he goes, no, 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 come here. You got to listen to me. I got to tell you about Jesus Christ because I met him on the road to Damascus and he saved me and he changed me and things are different now. Wow, what a spectacular sight that must have been. Folks, God has changed you if you're a born-again believer. He has given you a new master. He's given you a new message, and you should be proclaiming that new message, telling others, I can't help but tell what Jesus Christ has done for me. You got to hear. You know, I was a lost sinner. I was on my way to hell. I am still a hell-deserving sinner, but he, by his grace, saved me. Hallelujah. And he wants to save you too. Folks, that's the message of the gospel. And you know, Paul started preaching from that day and you read through the rest of scripture and he never quit to the day he died. Everywhere he went, even one time on one of his trips, he's sitting there waiting for his partners. (sighs) Come on, guys. Man, their boat got delayed again. Really? That's fine. I'm going in the city. I'm just going to start preaching. I can't wait any longer. I mean, that was Paul. The same man that just a few days earlier was persecuting those who named the name of Christ is now preaching his gospel. Paul said this to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9.16. He says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul said, Look, I'm nobody special. I just know what Jesus did for me, and I can't keep my mouth shut. I got to tell everybody. That's the JKV of that. That's twice I gave the JKV, Jim Core version. He says, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. May I say, woe unto you and I if we preach not the gospel? Because is that not the commission our Savior left us with? Is to go and to preach the gospel. You and I have the message 
that changes lives, not temporarily, but for all eternity. You and I have the message of gospel of Jesus Christ that tells folks that they can have hope, that they can have eternal life, that they can have their sins forgiven. And woe unto us if we're not proclaiming that message. God can call you to be a missionary. Do you think on the road to Damascus, on the road to Damascus that day, that Saul thought, you know, someday... I'm going to be the great apostle to the Gentiles, and I'm going to preach the name of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to write much of the New Testament, and I'm going, to, I'm going to be used greatly of Jesus Christ. No, that wasn't on his mind. As a matter of fact, Paul knew he didn't deserve it, because how many times throughout the life of Paul do we have him looking back and saying, I don't deserve this. I'm a persecutor of the church. Matter of fact, we're preaching through the book of 1 Timothy, and the next verse we look at, Paul's going to go back again and say, I was a persecutor of the church. I was a blasphemer, yet he saved me anyhow. You know, when somebody tells you I'm too bad to be saved, you don't have to look any further in the life of Saul. He wasn't too bad to save. I'm glad the grace and the the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all, aren't you? Maybe God will call you to be a missionary. I don't know. You know, we kind of use that term as a misnomer, I think, though, because we think missionary, going far overseas. Well, missionary, I consider Brian Alfin, who started the church up in uh, Little Washington, a missionary, didn't you, as he was starting that work? I, I consider Brother uh, um, Jackie Elwer out in Big Bear, a missionary, starting to work there in Big Bear, California, right? So then missions doesn't mean crossing the ocean. Missions means you're on a mission proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ, which means you can be a missionary right here in Havelock, North Carolina. Be a faithful witness here. Be grounded in the Word of God and proclaim the truths of God's Word. Do not follow every wind of doctrine. Ephesians 4.14 But we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Listen, there's a lot of false doctrine out there. Be careful where you get your doctrine. But study true doctrine, sound doctrine. Then follow the words of 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Preach the word. Be in season. Have that new message on your lips. So Christian... As we start this missions month, I want each of us to think and ask the question, Lord, what am I to do? You see, you and I have had the same thing Paul had, a change in master. We no longer serve self. We no longer serve the devil. We serve Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our master. And you and I have had a change in mission. Instead of life being all about me, it's all about him. And you and I have had a change of message. Instead of a message of death and destruction, you and I have a message of eternal life in Jesus Christ through the great sacrifice of him. Now, Lord, what am I to do? I don't have to ask, Lord, should I be a faithful witness because that's already commanded. I don't have to ask, Lord, am I to pray because that's already commanded. But we do need to know what is the specific areas in which I am to serve. How am I to use my time, talents, and treasure for you, Lord? How am I specifically to do that? That is what we need to know. 
So don't take time praying about, should I be praying? Should I be studying my Bible? Should I be faithful to my local church? Should I? No, those things are already commanded. And if you're not doing those, get it fixed because those are already settled. But then pray specifically, Lord, what, how am I then to complete this mission? It might be being a faithful witness at work. You might be the only gospel that your coworkers ever see or hear. Did you ever think of that? Are you sharing the gospel with them? Now, I don't believe in lifestyle evangelism, but I do believe your lifestyle needs to match your message. And if you're living in front of them, complaining and griping about the boss and complaining and griping about the work and then say, oh, let me tell you the love of Jesus, you've really muddied the waters. Your life needs to match what your words say. Now, I understand some of you have very difficult jobs and difficult positions. I fully understand that. And that's all the more opportunity for you to shine that light in that dark place in which you work. Maybe it's the teller at the bank, if you frequent the bank. Some don't even go to the bank anymore. I don't think young people even know that they actually have brick and mortar banks. I think they do everything online, but anyhow. Maybe it's the one that checks you out at the grocery store. Maybe you do all that online shopping. Maybe you need to get out of the house. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but there's somewhere, some way in which you can be reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. My challenge for you, Lord, what am I to do? I have a new master. I have a new mission. I have a new message. Now, Lord, Help me to be faithful in carrying it out. That's what I'm simply asking each of us to do. Pray and ask God this month, Lord, what am I to do? And then, here's the hard part, do it. Once we know what to do, it's not obedience until we do it. Lord, what am I to do? Let's bow forward to prayer.